The following presentation was recorded at the Buddhist Society of Victoria, Malvern East, Australia. Please visit our website at bsv.net.au. Okay. Good morning, everyone. I see so many people here. It's very good. Very nice. So today I'm, I'm going to talk about a topic, and I have, to, I have to forewarn you before I actually start doing this. It might, some of the words I might say might sort of cause you to be sort of shocked and a little bit offended kind of thing and put you back a little bit. Um, and this is, this is just because of the actual terms that I'll be, I'll be using for it. And so what I actually wanted to talk about is actually the fundamental problem that each and every one of us actually faces. And that problem actually is something in Buddhism that we call avijja. And so this, what avijja actually is, is ignorance or delusion or misunderstanding. So the reason I said, or oh, maybe you might get sort of shocked, I'm going to be throwing that word around a lot. I'm going to be going, you know, I'm I'm ignorant, I'm deluded, or you're ignorant, you're deluded. I don't take this to, to, uh, to mean that I, in some way I'm sort of saying that, you know, maybe that you're ignorant, that you're bigoted, or that you're, you're, you're a fool in some way. If I say we're deluded, don't take that to mean that you're, you know, hallucinating in some way, or have some sort of psychopathology, or you're misunderstanding something, that you're not actually intelligent enough to understand something. Avijja these uh, these terms of uh, delusion, ignorance, or misunderstanding in Buddhism, it really does mean something different, and I will go over exactly what it means. But what it actually, in a way, what it what it is, what avijja is in this way, this delusion, this ignorance, this misunderstanding, it is more like this kind of cognitive block that you might have where you don't understand or realize something about reality in some way. So there's something that's hidden there from you, something that you don't quite get yet. So it is this kind of cognitive block that's there some way. So what I'll go over today is, you know, exactly what actually is a vidya uh, and what it actually is that we're deluded of. Um, and furthermore, what we're deluded of, but then also what are some of the ways that a vidya actually arises within the world and arises within our lives? And finally, uh, what do we actually do about it? What do we actually do about this fundamental ignorance that we actually have? And so, as I said, what a vidya actually is, is really the, you could say, like the fundamental root problem in Buddhism. This is, this is the thing that's at the core that keeps us bound to this existence. It's the core aspect that continues our suffering in some way. This is the root cause. It's the root cause of things like uh, dependent origination, where if you have uh, ignorance, you have uh, delusion, then this is the cause of you having sankharas, consciousness, all these kinds of things. And this is the thing that keeps you bound in the, the cycle of birth and death, and it uh, stops you from being, being enlightened. And so the Buddha actually said that like avijja, this is the, as, as I said, it's the, it's the root cause, but the Buddha called it as well one of the, you know, the, the three fires or the three poisons, and that's greed, hatred, and delusion, or loba dosa moha. So this is one of the most 
fundamental things that's at the core of our existence. And now the, the bad news about it is that we don't get rid of it until we become an arahat, until we become fully enlightened. So is there anybody in the room today that's an arahat? Anybody online that's an arahat that's listening to me? No? Okay, so, so the bad news is for all of, all of us that are not arahants, we are deluded. We're all ignorant. We all misunderstand. We all have this fundamental avijja within our mind. So, but what then are we actually deluded of? What are we, what actually is, what is this thing that we are ignorant of? What is this thing that we are having avijja towards? And so the Buddha stated it in this way that, you know, you, uh, you know what actually is avijja? What is the cause of avijja? What is the cessation of avijja? And what is the path leading this, to the sensation of avijja? And so what actually is avijja and what is it avijja of? And the Buddha stated that what avijja is, is not knowing or not realizing the Four Noble Truths, not realizing that there is suffering, that there is a cause of suffering, that there is a uh, cessation of suffering, that not realizing that there's a path leading out of the cessation of suffering. So it's not, it's not just, okay, I understand what the Four Noble Truths are, so therefore, cool, I've read about it, I'm all good, I'm not, I don't have a vijara anymore, I'm not ignorant anymore. No, it's not realizing it. It's not truly penetrating and seeing it, and, and as I said, it's not becoming enlightened to this. Now, what is the cause of avijja? Well, the cause of avijja, the Buddha said, was something that he called the uh, something that he called the asavas, which is it's translated as like the taints or the defilements or something like that. And these are these are essentially the cause of us being deluded. These three taints or three defilements are what we call uh, uh, craving for sensual. Uh, central desires and central pleasures, craving for existence, and in uh, in an instance of the Buddha having this kind of like circular reasoning, um, which I'll get to in a little bit of why I think it's a circular kind of reasoning. One of the causes of avijja is that we have avijja. So I'll get to why I think this is a circular thing and, and why I think the Buddha stated this in this way. And so we have these three causes, uh, central, uh, craving for central desire, craving for existence, and then also, also ignorance itself as a cause. And if we can abandon this, then there is a cessation of avijja, and this is the cessation of dukkha in general, the whole mass of, mass of suffering. And really, this is enlightenment. This is becoming an arahant, uh, if we can actually abandon avijja totally. So, and the way that we actually abandon avijja is by practicing the Eightfold Path, and this is the thing that actually gets us out of it. So, we can see with something like avijja, what it's actually very synonymous with is what we call wrong view. As this is where uh, this is where we we misinterpret something in the world. Wrong view is not again not understanding the Four Noble Truths. And if we can abandon delusion, if we can abandon ignorance, then we have right view. But we don't really get right view until, again, we become an arahant. And so 
This is what we're, in essence, what we're deluded of, that there is suffering, there's a cause of suffering, there's a path leading out of the suffering, and it is caused by uh, craving for sensual desires, craving for existence, and by avidya itself. Now, it's also one other thing that it is, that it is uh, delusion or ignorance of is the process of dependent origination as well. If we don't realize that the process of dependent origination is happening, we're still sort of stuck up in it. And the Buddha gave this like great analogy of, of what, uh, why it is such a fundamental problem. And, and, and uh, he gave the analogy of like a vidya is like a stake that's been put in the ground and wear a dog on a leash that continues to run around this stake in the ground. And so as long as we're, as long as we're like l leashed up to this thing, we'll continue to run around and around and around it. So Arija is also this not understanding or not really realizing the process of dependent origination. And finally, what it is delusion or ignorance of is the, 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 the kind of metaphysical truth according to Buddhism of, of the three characteristics that things are impermanent, suffering and not self. Now, why we're deluded of these things, what happens is a vidya sort of like wraps around and wraps a net around our understanding of our, the five khandhas and our, our, our mind and our body wraps an understanding around that we think this body and mind that we actually have is something that is permanent, that is a source of happiness, or that is something that is self. And so Avidya sort of wraps around that and we don't really understand or we don't realize that this is, this these five aggregates that we actually have are actually impermanent suffering and not self. So again, this is a, it's a very, it's a very difficult and almost intractable problem Avidya is the last thing you get rid of before you become an arahat. So even if you become what we call a stream enterer, which is the first level of enlightenment, so even if you do become enlightened, you still have some form of delusion there. So yeah, where does that sort of leave the rest of us? You know, like it's, it's wow, it's, if, if even somebody that's enlightened still has some kind of delusion, where does that actually leave me on this, on the spectrum of people that are actually enlightened? So... This is, you know, it is a problem that we actually have and we all actually face this problem. So how does this actually arise in our lives and how does this, this thing actually work and how do we sort of get out of it? So this is where, if you remember, I was talking about the asavas and, and you know, ignorance being the cause of ignorance. This is why I think it's such a pernicious kind of problem because, because we're working out of fundamental delusion. This is sort of like our operating system. We're all working out of fundamental delusion. All our thoughts, all our speech, all our actions are deluded. And we are trying to use a deluded operating system to realize, to realize that, uh, to, to get out of delusion. So we have deluded thoughts, speech, and actions, and we're trying to use those deluded thoughts, speech, and actions to get out of delusion. But because we're deluded, we don't know what the results are. 
So it's this sort of intractable kind of, you know, uh, again, dog on a post sort of running around. And we, it's really, really hard to get out of this thing. So it is, it is this kind of very difficult thing to get out of. And obviously, if we practice the A4 path, this is something that moves us towards uh, getting out of this. But so really the way that it sort of arises in our lives is, is at this, you know, it's at this deep kind of fundamental level. We don't understand the Four Noble Truths, or we don't actually realize the Four Noble Truths. We are, we do have wrong view because we're not fully enlightened, because we're not an Arahant. We don't, we misinterpret uh, the, the five khandas as, as permanent, as, 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 as a source of happiness and that as self. We at this fundamental level, this is how a vija keeps working and keeps moving us through our existence. And this is, this is, you know, it is, it's definitely the hardest thing to actually get out of. And, you know, there is a way to do it. So I think as well, you know, there's, there's many layers of delusion. So that's the fundamental layer and that's the hardest one to get out of. But there's other ways that a, that a vija arises in our lives. And depending on the depth of the level, uh, this is this is either makes it either harder or easier easier for us to get out of it, and so at the fundamental level we're deluded about the uh, the realizing the four noble truths and the dependent origination. But I think the next level it's it's a really pernicious one that is really hard to get out of. Um, again, because of this kind of circular reasoning is because we're deluded, our thoughts, speech and actions are deluded and we're trying to use those deluded thoughts, speech and actions to get out of delusion and we don't really understand what the results are because we are deluded. So this is, this is the, the next layer down, you could say, is, is a really hard one to get out of because we just don't see our own blind spots. And that layer down, I think, is, is this... this stance that because we have some kind of understanding of the teachings, we have some kind of understanding of, of the Dhamma, we have some kind of understanding of the Four Noble Truths and Dependent Origination, we think that we're acting in accordance with them. But again, remember, if we're not an Arahant, we're still deluded. We're still possessed of wrong view. So we might think that we're sort of operating in terms of the Dhamma, or we might think that we're operating in line with the Dhamma, but in essence, we're still sort of deluded. And this is where we can sort of get into different things where we look at, maybe look at other people in the world and go, oh, look at this, these people that aren't, that aren't Buddhists. You know, they look at them, they just cause their own suffering. You know, they don't, they don't understand that they're attaching to this and they're, 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 they're actually suffering. Or, you know, look at these people from a different religion. They don't understand the true path of practice. I understand the true path of practice because I know about the Four Noble Truths and Dependent Origination and this and this and this. Look at these poor, pitiful, pitiful people kind of thing. You look at all these other people out in the world and it's like, yeah, they're all, they're all, they're all deluded. They all have wrong view, but I have right view because I know this stuff. And so we can see how this, this can make us even more deluded in this way. Again, we're operating operating out of this delusion. 
And we can see this sort of happens in so many different areas in our lives. We, you know, you can even see it in like a lot of Buddhist circles. It's like, you know, my kind of Buddhism is better than your kind of Buddhism, or my understanding of Buddhism is better than your understanding of Buddhism. It happens in so many levels, and it's, you know, we've all been guilty of it. We've all been guilty of it at some point in our lives. Um, I've definitely been guilty of it. You even saw it in the time of the Buddha, and the Buddha couldn't even really like stop this happening. There's, does, anybody, does anybody know of the first big argument in the Sangha? Does anybody know about it? If you don't, I'll tell you this, because it's, it's fantastic. It's, 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 it's so cool. It's, so in essence, the, uh, into the Buddhist dispensation, you know, the Sangha had grown. There was, a lot of, there was a lot of Sangha members, a lot of monks, a lot of nuns. And two factions of the Sangha started to really argue with each other. And both sides said, you know, we, we're acting in accordance with Dhamma. We're acting in accordance with the Vinaya. We're right. And these two sides, they couldn't get along. And even the Buddha came in and tried to arbitrate and said, you know, just, okay, settle down. It's, it's not that big of a deal. You know, just reconcile. And they're all like, no, 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 no. They're all wrong. We're, we're, we are the ones that are acting in accordance with Dhamma Vinaya. And they're, talk, they're saying this to the Buddha. Like, this is the guy that invented all that stuff. And so, no, 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 we're, we're right. And so, and so actually the Buddha just ended up leaving. Just went, I'm out of here. I can't, I can't deal with you people. Like, you're too much. I'm gone. He just went off into the forest. And does anybody know what that thing was that they were arguing about? Yes. It was about how you leave a water dipper in the toilet. <laughs> the Sangha argued because of that, because of a water dipper in the toilet. And so... It's just ridiculous. Like it's, you know, the whole Sangha is sort of splitting up because of that. So we can actually see that this attachment to our understanding in ways can actually really get in our way. And so the Buddha actually said that, you know, he made, he made a statement that, that, you know, lay people usually, their main, their main uh, obstacle towards enlightenment is, is sensual pleasures. But for monastics or renunciants, their main obstacle is views. So, again, we're all, we're all being guilty of this as much as, as anybody else. But this is sort of a way that avidya comes out in our life, that we think we have this kind of understanding and we attach to it and we just, we, we don't actually, we can't really see through our own delusion. And I think there's a, you know, there's another way that avidya arises within our lives in a very kind of practical way. And if we, again, if we think of what avidya means, it's a, a misunderstanding of something or a mis misrepresentation or a misinterpretation of things in our existence. And, you know, we all do this in so many different ways. Uh, we, you know, somebody says something to us and, and we're like, ah, oh, they... What do they mean by that? You know, they, I, bet they, I bet they meant this by it. And so we sort of start to build up a story of like, I can't believe they said this to me. I, I, we've all been as guilty of this and we, you know, we suffer for years. And you know, families split up and all these kinds of things uh, because somebody's holding on to something. And this is the easiest kind of a vigor to get rid of. You just ask the person what they mean. Maybe you've misrepresented the context of what somebody's actually said. And so you just ask the person, so what did you actually mean by that? And this is usually the easiest one to, to get rid of. And, but again, you know, we are, 
we're all guilty of it in some way. We've done it to other people. We've, we've done it ourselves. And what this comes from is because, because in essence, we have fundamental avidya within our mind and it builds up a framework of the way that we see the world. And instead of us seeing the world in the natural way that it actually is, our framework interprets the world as opposed to us understanding the world without this framework of, of delusion. So it's pretty easy to get rid of this. You know, you ask, you question, you, you talk to people about things. And, uh, and if, if uh, getting back to the story of the, of the Sangha splitting up about the water dipper, if they just had like talked to each other normally, you know, the Buddha wouldn't have had to have taken off kind of thing. So, so it's, this is the easiest kind of a vidya to actually get rid of. And so that brings me to, well, well, what do we do then? You know, what, how do we actually get rid of a vidya? How do we actually really fully get rid of this thing? And, you know, it's, it's, it's really easy to get rid of a vidya. You become an arahant. Right? You be, yeah, done. You become an arahant and you get right view. Sorted. I don't need to say anything else. But, uh, you know, obviously, obviously that's pretty hard to do, again, because of this kind of circular nature of a vidya. We're operating out of a vidya. Um, everything we do is sort of uh, producing deluded, deluded thoughts, speech, actions. Uh, it's, it's this whole cycle. But, again, if we just keep practicing the Eightfold Path, you know, eventually we're going to get out of it. But, you know, what do we do in the interim? Before we become an arahant, what you know? What's the rest of this kind of existence going to actually? How are we going to? How are we actually going to live that out until we become an arahant? I think there's you know there's a few things that we can do here. I think the one of the main things we can do is we can sort of take this on that actually I am somebody that has wrong view. I am somebody that's not an arahant yet, so I am still operating out of avidya. I am still operating out of delusion. If we can understand this, we can start to understand some of the biases we might have. We might have some of the biases and the ways that we're actually potentially interpreting the world in different ways. When we do this, and when we start to know this about ourselves, you know, we start to not. Avidya doesn't have such a hard stranglehold over us anymore. If we realize that we're deluded and that we realize that we're not an arahant yet and we just we don't cause ourselves so much suffering, it's sort of like you know the magician's trick. You know what it is. The trick still keeps happening, but at least you've got this understanding of, oh, okay, this is a trick. This is a trick. I don't sort of fall for it and I don't sort of believe that this thing is magic or whatever it is. We, if we can understand that the way that we're interpreting the world is operating out of this, we, this does so many things for us. We start to not suffer so much. And also we start to look at other people out in the world that are operating in this way. It's like, well, they're, they're, they're in the same boat as me. At some level, they don't understand something about their existence. At some level, some level, they're as deluded as I am. And so this allows us to not you know, judge people so harshly. This allows us to not, to not sort of you know, point fingers at you're right, you're wrong, or you did this to me and you did that to me. We, 
it again it sort of loosens the grip of a vija over us it's not doesn't have as strong of a stranglehold and what i think this does and i think probably one of the most practical things and this is what this leads us uh, i think is one of the most practical things to do if you know that you're operating out of this is that well you know what if we think again of what a vija actually means it's a kind of a misunderstanding it's a kind of a misunderstanding so what do you do with people that don't understand something? If ask, ask the question, yeah, but also we, if somebody doesn't understand something, you forgive them. If they do something wrong and they, they do it out of not understanding, you forgive them. It's like a small child. If a small child doesn't know that a particular kind of swear word is a bad word, you can't you can't blame them and scream at them and all these kinds of things. They just don't know. They just don't know. So, or somebody does some kind of action, but they don't know. They don't know how to do it. Somebody tries to do a math problem and they don't know how to like work it out. You can't get angry at them. Like they just don't know how to do something. You can't get angry at people for things that they don't know uh, what to do. So, Forgiveness is a massive part of operating in the world with a vija. We really have to look at our own lives and, our, and realizing that nearly everything that I do is operating out of a vija. So I'm causing myself suffering. I'm causing myself suffering in some way. It's, it's basically like I've got my own hand on my own throat and I'm squeezing it more and more and more and more. And I don't really, I'm, I'm choking but I don't realize I'm the one that's choking myself. And so if you don't realize this thing, you can actually start to forgive yourself. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm operating out of, out of a vija. I'm operating out of delusion. I forgive myself for causing myself suffering. I forgive myself for me causing myself suffering and that suffering sort of spilling out into the world as well and maybe causing other people harm as well. Try to forgive yourself for these things. And then also the big thing is to forgive other people when they act out of ignorance or they act out of delusion or they act out of a, a vijja. You know, they're in the same boat as you. They just don't know. They just don't know. They're operating under this same thing. So really having forgiveness for a lot of people, it doesn't, a lot of people and to ourselves, this is something that really you could say, as a, if you remember what I said, what of what a vidya is, it's one of these fires. You know, greed, hatred, and delusion, they're one of the three fires. Having forgiveness actually is like a coolant or some sort of water that helps you at least start to put out this fire of delusion. Forgiveness is something that actually makes delusion bearable. If we don't have forgiveness, then being deluded is, it's just a constant source of agitation. And so while we're practicing the Eightfold Path and trying to get ourselves out of delusion, what actually makes it bearable is knowing our own limitation, knowing our own biases, and also forgiving ourselves and forgiving others for it. And I think this is, you know, this is the most, one of the most practical things that you can actually do with that. So with that, that's probably about all I've got to say about that. That's a, it's a big one. So uh, uh, I welcome you all to, to 
uh, ask any questions now. If you, if you misunderstood something about what I said, you know, just ask. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, the easy, it's the easiest way to go with these things. Questions are good. Don't be afraid. I actually, I actually really like, uh, it's, it's this perverse thing that I actually have. I, I actually really like when people say to me, no, 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 you're wrong about that. I, I, I really, it's, it's the, I'm actually interested in the conversation now. It's like, oh, great, okay, we can talk now. But if you just like, yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, oh, okay, important. I, I really like it when people actually go, no, 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 you're wrong about this, you're wrong. It's, okay, cool, I can learn something from that. So I welcome any kind of questions or or, hey, man, you've understood that really wrong. Actually, I won't say you're wrong about any of that. Oh, okay. But look, That's that was disappointing. A, that was a really <laughs> beautiful explanation of that. So thank you for no, that. No problem. You know, even I was reflecting on that, even the easiest way of a giving, mm. giving up a vidya, mm. that can be really hard to do. Yeah, yeah. Because you say, you know, just, just talk to them. Mm. But, but there's a lot of obstacles in the way yeah. of talking to them. Many of men, I think most of it is you, you talk about that story that we've spun up. We've really invested so much in this story. Yeah. And it's, it's not so much talking, I feel it's not so much talking to the person. Mm. It's actually being able to let go of our investment yeah. in this story. Yeah. And you know, that's, the, that's the toughest yeah. part of it. Yeah. Like it's, yeah, it's hard because, you know, essentially we're operating, we're operating out of this framework and this framework of Avidya and this biases everything. This biases absolutely everything that's there. And so we just continue to interpret the world in this way. And so it's hard for us to see that, you know, that we might be wrong and that we should just ask and should talk to somebody about these kinds of things. So... Yeah, it's, it's, you can, yeah, it's, again, yeah, it's, I, I gave a simple explanation, but yeah, it's not, it's not such an easy thing to actually do this, to actually, to actually do this. And, you know, you, there's the, sorry, I've got a cramp in my foot. Sorry. There's, um, you know, you see it with sort of like, like families that may have been like, they're not talking to each other for years. They're not talking to each other for years. They're like, they've just sort of got lost they got lost in this, sorry, cramps really bad, got lost in this kind of self-delusion. So, yeah, it's pernicious and it's really hard and, you know, we're operating out of this kind of, operating out of this kind of bias. Um, you know, you see it, you see it, uh, you see it a lot, like, I actually saw it a lot, like, in my time in Thailand with people because, because they want to interpret the world in a particular kind of way. They anything that they hear, they sort of they interpret it in the way that they want to hear it. You I stay with a lot of like really really good teachers, and what it, what happens with a lot of really good teachers is you get a lot of people coming and asking asking good teachers about their own meditation practice. And most people, when they ask about their own meditation practice, they want some kind of validation. They want some kind of validation of like, oh yeah, you've you've got jhana, you've you're 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 enlightened now, or something like this. And so they they come with this, you know. I'm gonna go check. I'm gonna go check with this great master and tell him about my jhana or enlightenment experience. And most of the time, the the very the 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 very good teacher just gives a very vague and general 
response. And you're sitting there with them, and it's like, and then this person walks out, it's like, yeah, see, he, he said that I've got genre. It's like, no, he, he gave the most general answer ever, and how did you get that out of it? So you know, we, we, we really operate out of this kind of, we have this kind of bias of what we want to hear and the way we want to hear the world. And so then, you know, even because we've got this bias already and the way that we're sort of interpreting, uh, interpreting the interrelational processes that we, uh, 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 relations that we might actually have with people, it's hard to actually even see that I've misinterpreted something here and I should just ask about it or I should get clarification on it. Um, you know, we don't, you know, we don't, again, nature of a bridger is that we don't know that we need clarification. We're, we, we're diluted already, so we don't even know that we need clarification on this thing. So, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a bit of a vicious cycle. So, yeah, hope that answers the question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Self righteousness, but not self righteousness in, you know, not always in a negative way as well. It's like you just, you just don't understand. Uh, so, yeah. Thank you, Arjun. We have some online questions as well. So what we'll do is alternate between questions from people in the hall and reading out an online question while you massage that foot and hopefully get some relief, Arjun. Uh, I'm just going to go to the question that relates directly to the topic first. Uh, the person has referred to practicing avijja, but perhaps they mean uh, trying to avoid avijja. Um, but I'll read it out as it's written. I have difficulty in practicing avijja in conversation with friends who are complaining about others. Mm. I'm inclined to engage and chip in to hold conversation and empathy with my own complaints. Do you have suggestions on how to maintain a healthy, supportive conversation mm. while practicing avijja or perhaps uh, trying to avoid avijja? Yeah. So the Buddha did recommend in many places of, of how we... Um, give this kind of you know, criticism or, or we interject when we think somebody is actually acting out of, out of wrong view. The Buddha said we, you know, we, we, say, we say something at the right time. We say something with a mind of kindness. Um, we say something not out of a desire, not out of a desire to uh, sort of prove that we're right, but to you know, to, uh, to assist, to assist the person. There's two other things and I can't remember them off the top of my head. But, you know, in essence, it's this, this aspect of knowing what's, if you think that somebody is uh, speaking with a vidya or speaking with some kind of delusion or some kind of ignorance, it's knowing when the right time to actually say this. And actually, maybe this gets a little bit to what we we're talking about before knowing the right time to say this and saying this with kindness and saying this with compassion of, you know, I want to help this person uh, uh, you know, maybe, maybe see through some of, the, some of the delusion that they might have. So a lot of it comes down to our intention. Um, uh, I, I spend, I spend a, 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 a decent proportion of my time uh, with with academics and most of the time they'll ask a question but it's more it's more a lot of the times that the question is being asked is like I just want to show you how right I am <laughs> I, I just want to show you how right I am and I want to show you why you're wrong and it's most of the time it's not done in this spirit of this spirit of you're wrong and I'm smarter than you a lot of the times it's I'm just I'm inquiring I'm questioning but it's it's more there is there is a there's some sort of ego there as well of like 
I just want to show you how you're wrong here and I want to pick some holes in it and I want to show you how I'm right. But that's not really the way that the Buddha said to, to, to offer some critique. You know, the critique has to come from this mind of kindness. It has to come at the right time. It has to be have good intention for the other person. So, so if we are interacting with people and we're sort of realizing that something's, something's amiss there, that they're, they're, they're uh, uh, producing some kind of uh, deluded view in some way, you know, the best thing we do is check ourselves, check our own attention, check our own desires. Are we operating out of, out of greed, hatred, or delusion? Are we just angry with them and do we just want to shut them down? Or, or are, we, are we operating out of this kind of greed, I want everybody to know that I'm right? Or, or, or are we ourselves operating out of delusion? <laughs> Is there something about this interaction that I've misinterpreted? Is there something about what they've said? Have I missed the context? Have I missed, have I missed the, their actual intended meaning? So the best thing to do in these kinds of interactions, I think, is to look at yourself first. Look at your own intentions first and make sure that those intentions are actually good and wholesome that those intentions are coming out of kindness, those intentions are coming out of wanting to give clarity to the other person as opposed to, you know, shoring up your own, you're shoring up more of your own delusion and building a bigger wall from it. So, yeah, hopefully that answers the question. Monte, oh. uh Take the Buddha's first sermon. Mm. It described about uh, four noble truths, yep. uh, three characteristics, uh, middle path, noble eightfold path. No one got enlightened. Nobody got enlightened by that. Nobody got fully enlightened. Yeah. Fully enlightened. Second sutta, Anatta Lakana sutta, that he described the five aggregates of arising, dependent origination, and then... So I think one or two got enlightened. Okay, yep. fully enlightened. Yep. Then we are talking of avijja. Mm. What are we? What is the ignorance of? But the main ignorance, main avijja is the avijja of the view of separate self. Mm. That is the biggest avijja. We are talking of avijja as a thing. Yep. What what are we avijja of? Mm. People think that we are a separate self. Yeah. That is why we are in the cycle of birth and. Mm. Mm. Avijja pacha sankara. Mm. That's how the conditions are created. Yeah. The defilements. You talk about cankers. Yeah. The habits. Yeah. That's all come from that. Mm. Those are things that goes to the next level yeah. of consciousness and nama rupa. Now uh, with tarat, it doesn't go beyond that. Yeah. Okay. It does stop there, right? So the when you talk of avijja, the then somebody asks, if there is no self, who is there to be liberated? Yeah. But the whole practice of the Buddha's teaching is to understand how this view of self is created. Yeah. Mm. That is the whole practice. The mm. whole practice of Noble Eightfold Path is mm. to, f to realize yeah. how the view, is create, how view of separate self is created. Yeah. Mm. That is what it's all about. Mm. Mm. And when you see at every time the Four Noble Truths and the Three Characteristics, you see that it's, it's not self. It is a, it's a process and phenomena. Yeah, yeah. So that is the. So when you talk of avijja, mm. what are avijja? It is the biggest avijja is mm. the view of separate self. For sure. And all the other, 
avijjas are based on that yeah all yeah. the other behaviors of human beings are based on that yeah for sure and you know it's it's obviously it's obviously it's obviously like also like dependent origination is a part of that you know because you have a avijja then there's some kind of sankara or formation coming up and there's some kind of consciousness and then when sort of name and form this is you know, sort of analogous to like a sense of self so so that those two things are they're just so intertwined that it's 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 so hard to actually like pull them apart and you're right you know when the buddha buddha gave the anathalakana sutta it's the second sutta that they all did become enlightened at that point and there's something very as you said, it's very, very poignant about that, of, of that, uh, you know, this thing, because we attach to the five aggregates so much and we think, you know, we really do like, and I'm just as guilty of this as anybody else. You know, I, I, I think my body's sort of permanent. And it's like everybody else dies, but deep in my heart, oh, I'm not going to die. I'm always going to be strong. I, I think that it's a source of happiness. I think that this, uh, that, you know, I think this thing is a self that this is, this is a vidya working its its sort of illusory tricks and but if i recognize that actually no this thing is not self this thing is impermanent this thing is this whole process that i that i think i am is a source of suffering then you just come closer and closer to it because so yeah the the attachment to the five aggregates as a form of self that's such a pernicious thing that we need to yes get rid of but it's it's you know it's so hard of I, I i do it every day i try i try to i try to i try to realize it every day and it's, it's you practice and, and i get it yeah i get it great and then oh no i don't <laughs> yeah other thing is the of course you take arhat there's absolutely no ego mm. all the, all of us have ego mm. but it's not black and white it there's a mm. different degrees of for sure. Yeah. So when you come to the stream, that's a one yeah, yeah. specific point. Mm. But people have different levels of avijja. For sure. It's yeah, not black yeah, and white. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, that's how we keep moving. Practice yeah. is all to reduce, reduce, reduce until... Yeah. And that's a, you know, that's, a, that's a good thing to remember. Like, it is like sort of like a spectrum kind of thing. Like, and this is probably a bad analogy, but it is some kind of spectrum. And, and you know... It, just how far along it we are and how much insight into it we have, you know, this is going to be different for everybody. And even, as I said, like, it's so, like, it's, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's heartwarming or it's, or it's discouraging that even, even a sotapanna, even somebody at the first level of enlightenment, they've still got delusion. They're still deluded in some way. And it's like, okay, well, for me, that's like, well, okay, if a sotapanna or a stream enter is deluded, and I'm deluded. Okay, I'm you know I'm I'm doing all right. I'm I'm not doing too bad. It's it's you know I'm not I'm not an arahat yet. They're not an arahat yet. So okay, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. But yeah, you're right. My 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 delusion as compared to a sotapanna's delusion is night and day kind of thing. So you know really look where where does that leave us? You know, at some level where we're all along this spectrum. And that's what I think, for me, that's what I think is encouraging. That in some way, we're all deluded. And if we can actually recognize that and we can accept that about ourselves, this actually makes it easier for you to progress further and further. But the more you sort of dig in and the more you dig in, it makes it harder. I think it makes it a little bit harder to progress. And so 
actually knowing that we're all diluted in some way is, I think it makes it a little bit easier to see when we are acting with delusion. And that in itself, I think, can help us sort of move further and further up that spectrum. So, yeah, it's and it's if you can see if you can see the not self side of it, it's you know, it's it's really what you're really what you're aiming for. Thank you, Ajahn. The next um, online question that relates to the topic is, um, Ajahn, when you look at things as anicca, dukkha, anatta, will that help reduce our delusion? Yeah. Yeah, so it's so again, sort of like the spectrum analogy. Um, it, truly realizing a nicca dukkha and nata, this is this is something that the arahat actually realizes. But that's that's the true and profound and uh, uh, you know, most comprehensive kind of realization of a nicca dukkha nata, or even you know or even the sotapanna. Um, but for ourselves, if we recollect, continue to recollect that are. Uh, that things are anicca, dukkha, anatta. This helps us move along this spectrum. It's like, it's like I don't know, it's like a statue that's 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 like full of grime and like is is sort of caked in in all these different kinds of 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 of, of dirty kind of things. And so every time we maybe we maybe recollect on anicca, dukkha, anatta, it's like taking a cloth and making one wipe gets a little bit cleaner, gets a little bit cleaner, gets a little bit cleaner. So we just have to keep doing that and keep wiping away as much as we can. Um, so reflecting on anicca, dukkha, anatta, sometimes, sometimes it might feel very deep and profound and you might have this kind of aha moment and this kind of glimpse of an insight kind of thing. Or sometimes it might just feel very perfunctory of like, okay, uh, you know, I'm angry again. It's, it's, just it's impermanent it's impermanent but i'm still angry <laughs> it's impermanent uh, like okay this 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 person's this person's annoying me oh it's this is suffering this is a suffering it can be just be very it can be very perfunctory and and superficial in some ways but it's helping it's moving you along again it's like wiping wiping away a little bit more of the grime if you just keep doing it you're going to be moving moving uh, moving further and further along the eightfold path and again this is this is the thing that helps us get out of a vidya is developing the eightfold path and having these kinds of uh, uh, doing our practice and, and and trying to recollect with wisdom on these on these characteristics so yeah it'll it'll definitely help but just just realize and just recognize that sometimes it'll feel like it's helping a lot sometimes it might feel like it's only helping a little, but it is still helping for sure. Yeah. Mm. More than a question because yep. um, I, um, at, at the moment I'm doing Dhamma class for the young children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, this is just asking for tips for parents maybe because right. we create an identity yeah, yeah, yeah. So even before we are born uh -huh. and so by the time we come to our age yeah. there are so many layers we have built yeah. so I can see it in, in my class yeah. so how uh -huh. can we inculcate this not you know like Abhijay in the sense of actually I'm teaching yeah, yeah, yeah. seven and eight year olds yeah, yeah. the eightfold noble path yeah. at the moment yeah. so I think on a on a Younger level, how 
we could approach planting the seeds. Yeah. Some simple ways. Yeah. Huh. So that that would be that would be like every parent's dream. Like if I if I could raise my child to have right view, like that, that you know that's you've 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 nailed it as a parent if you can do that. I, 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 it's, it's hard for me to speak on this because I'm, I'm one, I'm not a parent. Um, I, I don't, you know, I, I, I don't really know too much about raising children. I can't even keep a plant alive. So, um, <laughs> so uh, you're raising children's a whole other, whole other story, but okay. So what are, what are some of the ways that we can maybe do this? Well, again, first up, first up, I think, um, this is just my opinion. Um, First up, I think, again, recollecting that we ourselves are operating out of some kind of avidya and that, you know, the things that we may impart on this child or the, these children, some of that might be coming out of wrong view. And so, again, we have to forgive ourselves for that. And, okay, well, and as a parent, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing as a as a parent, you have to you have to forgive your mistakes of what you're teaching your child a lot because I mess this up. So, so one, we have to recognize our own limitations. But then, two, we can. I think you know. I think there is a way that we can uh, plant those seeds. Plant those seeds within children of sort of getting them to getting them to sort of maybe operate in the world because that you know they're building their framework at that time. They're building this framework of how they're going to actually interpret the world. And so if we can offer some kinds of materials for them, building that framework of, okay, maybe, you know, every time you feel angry or something, you know, that this is something that, that's maybe, it's not going to last, it's not going to last forever. Um, um, we can offer some of these teachings from things like the Eightfold Path or teachings from the Buddha's dispensation, this can actually help them at least start to build a scaffold that's not as sort of deeply rooted in, in a vijja. There are some sort of useful things in it. So, I, you know, we really, we just sort of like, we do the best that we can, but, you know, like, um, I, I think, uh, I'm assuming, you know, everybody that's a parent, they're like, okay, I want my kid to grow up really smart. I want my kid to grow up really good and like a really nice person and, and I want them to be kind and also I want them to be like a genius on piano and I want them to like get into this school and I want them to like do this and do that and they don't do any of the things that you want them to do. They end up being their own person. So I guess, I guess as a teacher or as a parent as well, just also know that the people, everybody has their own kind of karma. And so whatever we can, whatever we can offer in terms of helping them in some way, we try to offer that and we try to offer that for out of, again, not out of trying to correct or, uh, or, or correct this person in some kind of way, but out of like this pure hearted kind of compassion or kindness of, I really do want this being not to suffer as much as possible. So whatever I'm going to impart on them, I'm going to impart them with this kind of kindness that Hopefully, some of these tools will help get them out of this. So, yeah, I think a lot of it depends on on your intention as well and your actual way that you're actually teaching. How how they're going to interpret it? Who knows? Like, 
I can't I can't get kids to listen to me for more than about like five minutes. So <laughs> a, a lifetime of trying to like change the fundamental way that they'll relate to their their fundamental ignorance. Of, of, yeah, I'd be pretty lost on that one. So, <laughs> but hopefully, hopefully that helps in some way. Thank you, Ajahn. The next question online is, um, dear Ajahn, if I'm doing my uni assignments and meeting deadlines and doing my day-to-day -day worldly requirements, how can I do all that with the understanding of avijja while working towards the Noble Eightfold Path and understanding the Four Noble Truths? Yeah. Well, look... Trying to understand the the four noble truths and the eight, and practicing the eightfold path, and trying to actually become enlightened. You know, this is not an easy process. This is a lifetime thing. This is something that you do over a long period of time, and, and some would even argue over many, 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 many lives you do this thing. So we have to take this long term perspective we have to take this patient perspective with this as like okay well this is i think you know this getting rid of fundamental ignorance and me practicing the eightfold path it's it's the most important thing but you know i have to eat as well i have to i have to do things in the world and i have to operate in the world so if you're having to do assignments and having to do all these things this is just sort of a part of being in the world and yeah, at times, some of those things might lead you to have a lot more suffering, you know, doing assignments and doing, uh, doing tests and all these things. Uh, you know, I, I think nearly everybody that does them can attest that they are some form of suffering. And a lot of the times I feel like this is useless, like it's, I don't know why I'm doing this. So while doing some of those things in the world may sort of pull you pull you a little bit away from the path if you actually have this kind of underlying drive and underlying desire of like the most important thing in my life is to sort of move towards enlightenment you're going to get pulled every now and again a little bit but through this kind of strong desire that you have to stay on the path you'll always come back so it might you might have these kind of little detours but if you keep that if you keep that desire then you know yeah, you're going to detour for a little while. You're going to have some more and more suffering. You're going to, you you're going to become a little bit more ensconced in in fundamental ignorance. But you'll hopefully pull yourself back. Um, and again, look, it's uh, it's really comes down to a lot of what I said at the end of the talk is that avidya is just a part of our existence, and we're going to fall. You know, we're going to fall prey to its tricks. You know, this is this has kept us in the cycle of birth and death for incalculable eons. So you can't just sort of go, "Cool, I've decided not to do that, and it's not going to happen anymore." <laughs> and it's not going to happen anymore. But just sort of knowing that, knowing that, okay, well, this is something that I, you know, this is something that is going to continue to play tricks on me. But I'm going to continue to be patient and I'm going to continue to try to realize when I'm falling into a vija. And again, as I said, with what I said at the end of it, is that know that a vija has such a strong hold over your life and drives you in so many different, like, stupid ways. 
um, stupid ways and even even useful, even really useful ways. Uh, you know, one of the one of the asavas is is craving for existence. Uh, that's one of the that's one of the causes of avicca. It's like craving for existence. So doing things in the world is a kind of craving for existence. So you just again you're just beholden to that, and it's such a strong and powerful force that you know all you can really do is forgive yourself for operating under that. I uh, guess okay. Well, I you know avicca avicca got me again. It got me, bit me again, <laughs> bit me again. Okay, uh, well, okay. I, I, I keep trying. I keep trying to train this thing, uh, um, but it's going to continue to bite you. So, we have to forgive ourselves when we do stray or when we do get pulled off the path. But if we can really keep this underlying, uh, underlying patience and underlying desire to actually want to develop the eightfold path and to, you know, move closer and closer towards enlightenment, hopefully this will pull us back uh, when we do and we won't get too far pulled off by them so yeah so good luck with your assignments and things like that as well so yeah thank you Ajahn Sindaro hmm. um, I have a bit of a follow up I yeah. think from some of these questions I'm yeah. trying to reconcile some of the things you said mm. during the talk and the Q&A yeah. all of which was fascinating yeah. um, but Avija at, at the heart it sounds like forgiveness was a key element uh, forgiving others uh, like a child still trying to understand yeah. and maybe forgiving oneself. Yeah, right. uh, yet, if you just accept and forgive, then maybe you never address the fact mm. that it, it is a delusion. Yeah. Um, and in the Q&A, it sounded more that it was about um, having compassion rather than forgiveness. Right, yeah, yeah. And... Um, I think I think back to even the Buddha himself did mm. challenge people who yeah, sure. did not have sure. right view, yep. or yep. including the first initial yep. aesthetics. Yep. So yep. I just wonder what your thoughts might be. Yeah. Um, for if if you only keep forgiving something that's you know it's like if if computer fails, you yeah, you yeah. had this analogy and yeah, just yeah. say you know we forgive it because yep. computers always fail. Then yeah, you, yeah. you never fix the never fix, fix the, problem. the problem. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. yeah so um, so. Just to clarify, with with the kind of forgiveness, this is this is like the high, like high and the most coarse level thing because you know because we're suffering, you know the the thing that makes that a little bit easier is just being able to forgive ourselves and forgive others for the way that they that the way that they are maybe operating in the world. Now, this doesn't mean that you don't try to fix it. You still do try to fix these things. You still do try to fix your. The, the 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 delusion and the ignorance that's within one within your own mind and two that's maybe out there in the world with somebody that's that's acting in a way that they might be causing themselves or causing others suffering you still do that and as you you're very right that the buddha you know, rebuked people quite severely in in a, in a lot of, in a lot of places some of us like whoa you know, I, I wouldn't have liked to have been on the receiving end of that like so it's not to say that we just accept everything and we forgive everything and we're just totally kind and okay, it's all fine. I'm I'm deluded. It's, it's all fine. I'll just I'll keep I'll keep merrily merrily drifting through the world in my deluded sense. No, you still have to do something about it. Obviously, you still do have to try to see that okay, I'm this way that I'm operating. This is operating out of delusion. How how do I fix how do I fix that? But it's more, 
we still we do that and we try to fix it as much as possible. We, and again, we do that by actually developing in the Dharma. We develop the Eightfold Path. Again, it's not just about forgiving, accepting, all these kinds of things. We actually do have to develop the Eightfold Path to get out of this thing. This is something that we have to do. But also the, the forgiveness and the compassion side of it, it's more just you try to fix this thing and sometimes it fails. So like the computer analogy, okay, your computer crashes. You don't just go, oh, accept that my computer's crashed and it's fine. You try to fix it. You, you, run the, you, run the, you, you look for the first bug in your code. It's not right. God damn it, it's crashed again. Like the whole thing's crashed again. You get angry. Now, uh, you try it again, get angry. Try to fix the code. Now, what forgiveness and compassion is, it's more, it's more you're still trying to do those things. You're still trying to fix the computer. But you just don't get angry at yourself when you actually fail. You don't get angry at others when something doesn't work out. So, again, it's this, it's this, the compassion and the forgiveness side of things. It's, it's the, it's the, it's the, it's the, like the higher level uh, solution to your own suffering of the problem. And it, it keeps you going. So, for example, again, going back to the computer analogy, if you're like trying to fix, you know, fix your code kind of thing, and you just keep getting angry and angry and angry and angry and angry and angry. You're not going to want to fix the code anymore. You know, like, I don't do this anymore. But if you're just patient with yourself and you're kind to yourself, okay, I'll, I'll get there eventually. Okay, okay, I, I wrote this bit of code wrong. Oh, okay, I, I, I missed a full stop here. I can forgive myself for that. I just I overlooked this thing. I didn't realize that this was the problem. This is more where the forgiveness and the compassion side of things actually comes in. And yeah, you're right. With the Buddha rebuking other people uh, uh, plenty of times, you know, and again, this is what we do. But you know, we don't do it out of this kind of uh, the, other, the other three, other, sorry, other two fires or the other two poisons of greed or hatred. This is what compassion and forgiveness actually gives us is, is allows us to act in that way where we are trying to fix things in the world, but we're doing it in this compassionate and kind and forgiving kind of way, as opposed to, you know, you know smacking the computer. <laughs> so does that make sense or? Okay. Hmm. Yeah. So with that, we, we're, it's, uh, we've, we've reached the, reached, reached the end. Um, so very, very happy that you all came along today. Hopefully you got something out of it. Um, and yeah, and so now we, we have the, the communal lunch over next door. And so you're all welcome to come and uh, have, some, have some lunch and we'll do the rice pindabat. So yeah, any, any, anything to close up the day? Okay. All the best, everyone. So I'll see you next time. Oh, yeah. Pay respect to the Buddha Dhamma Sangha. Sorry. Ugh, forgot. Arahang Samma Sambuto Pagoa Bhutang Pagoantang Habiwa Dim Soakato Pagoata Dhammo Dhammang Namasami Supatipanno Bhagavato Sawaka Sangho Sankhang Namami